0: welcome to the televerse the podcast just for tv because it's great we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see your host and kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen comedy genre reality drama and anything that's in between welcome to the televerse hello and welcome to the televerse this is kate calls a joint is ever by noel kirkpatrick noel um i would say how's it going but i i can't because just i'm blinded by your aura right now um like you're just like this shining beacon on the other side of my skype and listeners there's a good reason for this noel saved me from the the second two-thirds of jessica jones this week and i'm eternally grateful for that spoiler alert we're talking about jessica jones season three this week
1: well, I'm talking about Jessica Jones season 3 this week. You're talking about the first four episodes of Jessica Jones season 3.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. We're going to talk about this at the end of the show. Um I I will knowing my knowing myself, I will eventually probably watch the rest of it. Um but I was talking to I reached out to Noel the other day, I was like, okay, how much, Jessica, did you get through? Because, like, I'll watch as much as you you watched. And you're like, oh, I finished it. And I was like, son of a bitch. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and you were like, no, no, no. It's okay. You can stop. And I, and I was just like, "Oh," So instead, I went and watched Meryl Streep be bitchy towards Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon. And it was glorious.
1: And I'm so grateful. So thank you, Noel. Well, don't think me out. Like I said in the text message, now you're just going to watch Neon Genesis Evangelion, and we're not going to do it as make you watch thon.
0: That's so, fine. That's totally cool with yeah. you. I, I was spoiler alert. I was going to be okay with that no matter what. So.
1: Yeah, no, I know you were, but you so, say that right now. You say that now. <laughs> Until we get to episodes 25 and 26, and then you're going to be like, WTF, Noel, why'd you make me watch this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm If only for the various Fly Me to the Moons
0: that I know have been cut from the Netflix ver- – listeners, for those who don't know, there's a new dub of Evangelion, and they had different – uh versions and covers of fly me to the moon for every episode that got cut from netflix for rights issues but you can watch them all on like youtube i think right
1: yes yeah or if you're like me and have the soundtracks you can also listen to them on the soundtracks. there you go i'm a big evangelion fan so
0: i'm very like that's enough of a reason for me to be excited about this like just the that creative choice tells me that i will probably enjoy myself watching evangelion so we will find out though
1: yeah, soon. Like not like the soon soon, because we've sort of already mapped out the yes. rest of the summer. But, but soon.
0: Yes, soon. Soon ish. Soon in the in the yeah. realm of soon. Yeah. Yes. Um this week, like as we said on the podcast, we're gonna be talking about Jessica Jones season three and probably a bit about the overall Netflix Marvel series. Um we also I was so tempted, we're not going to be using Seth Meyers glorious dulcet tone singing rihanna but i really wanted to um more on that later in this week instead we are going to be using for our music to lead into our main segment our week in tv a delightful moment that didn't happen on tv this week but happened on tv last week and and noel i i want you to just like if you've got sutton foster and you've got hillary duff and you've got And you've got Miriam Shore on your show. And you've individually had them kind of sing. But you realize you're in a situation where there is a decent, if albeit rather stretched, reason that they can sing the Dolly Parton classic 9 to 5. You do it, right?
1: No, you absolutely do it. Yeah. So it's good that they finally did that.
0: And they did. (laughs) And the opening is a little rough because the... The characters, aside from Miriam Shore's Diana, are not supposed to be great singers. And so you can mm-hmm. just tell that they're like roughing up their vocals to be more like average. Like, come on. No one wants to hear Sutton Foster be average. We all know she's not average. She's glorious and spectacular and wonderful. And so is she. She's Hilary the tops. tops. She's the tops. Absolutely. She's cellophane. <laughs> and so anyways that's going to be our musical clip here as we head into our week TV. it's not from this uh week it's from last week but i don't care cheating doing it because yeah. uh we love nine to five here at the Televerse. here at the televerse. in this house we stand nine to five um so <laughs> with no further ado let's listen to some nine to five and we'll be right back with our week in tv Tumble out of bed and stumble to the kitchen. Pour myself a cup of ambition, yawn and stretch and try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping. Out on the street the traffic starts jumping. Folks like me on the job run nine to five. Working nine to five. What a way to make her live. give you credit.
1: It's enough to drive you crazy if you like it. Ooh. They let you dream just to watch them shatter. you just a step on the boss man's ladder, but you've got dreams they'll never take away. You're in the same boat with a lot of your
0: friends, waiting for the day your ship will come in. And the tide's gonna turn and it's all gonna ride. That was uh, Sutton Foster, Hillary Duff, and Miriam Shore singing 9 to 5. And I need to rewatch that movie. I watched it when I was young and really enjoyed it, but I feel like it would have like this extra level of potency for me now. Uh, I feel like that's a, u- a worthwhile use of my time.
1: Yeah, I was actually just thinking that while we were discussing it um, just now of, I haven't seen 9 to 5 in forever. And that feels like something that's probably, like you just said, worth rewatching.
0: Mhm. Definitely. Uh, this week in TV, we're going to be talking about the season four premiere of The Detour. We're going to talk a little drunk history. Uh, this week, they came back for their like mid-season premiere. Derek Waters, believe it or not. Then we'll talk some late night with Seth Meyers because that's right, day drinking with Rihanna. We, I love how just like last week or the week before, we were talking about really enjoying the Kelly Clarkson day drinking, and then. You, they're, they're back with a new one. It's terrific. Uh, then we'll talk a little last week tonight with John Oliver, impeachment and full frontal with Samantha B, uh, round out comedy with Jane the Virgin because I'm caught up everyone. Woo! Yay! Chapter 94. And then I'll talk briefly about Big Little Lies season two. Uh, last week was the premiere. This week we had Telltale Hearts and we'll run things out with Queen Sugar. I no longer imagine, aka Nova WTF. Uh, more on that when we get there. So first up, we have the detour. Now you and I were super on board uh, with the detour right from the beginning. We were big champions of its first season and even its second season felt like it faltered at some point between two and three and we it was like one of those sh- it's one of those shows that we've been really hoping will like turn it all around and come back just as strong or better than ever for season four. How do you feel like they did with the season four premiere the search?
1: I think it's decent. Like, um, I think that there's some okay stuff here. Um, I appreciate their commitment to watching, um, having the dad, Nate, just fall down a mountain the entire time in a deliciously, like, Looney Tunes-esque sort of sequence of it just keeps going. And all he ends up with is, like, a black eye and a cut on his forehead. And, like, some blood in his mouth and nose, but it's just this is good. This is good. This is very silly. And so I think all of that worked out for me pretty well. And I liked the callback to the Ninja star being weird song um, mm-hmm. and how this has sort of become a cult or at least a sacred text of some kind. And I was just like, that's pretty good because that was a, that was a major highlight when that happened for this show. And so I think all the elements are there and I'm just sort of waiting for them to coalesce at this point now. Of like, all right, you came out with a decent, decent premiere for me. Let's see you kind of keep that momentum up. Um, particularly this concept that uh, the daughter, uh, Delilah, has just been hanging out at a place, which is delicious and great. And I really like that concept. But it's also like, well, wait, what's the third episode then? Mm <laughs> hmm. And how does it involve Lauren Bonatti? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, just, and she's of course currently on younger as well, so it yeah. makes me very happy to see her popping up everywhere. Um, hopefully she'll be back on on, on the, the detour. But um this uh yeah, this premiere for me, I th- sounds like you were fonder of it than I was. I thought it was solid. Um and I what I most liked about it is that they really look like they're about just gonna reset the premise of the the uh finale cliffhanger and then this premiere in the next episode she's like oh she's just home okay that's fine um because i think that's more interesting and uh this was i mean yes they're going for a cartoonish looney tune style heightened thing uh but i just wasn't interested or invested because it was so heightened and i feel like the the when the show is best it's when it's at its most like relaxed and in conversational. And that's not what this premiere is at all. Um, So, so like the, the road trip element of the first season is what was so compelling and and effective. And I feel like ever since they got away from that, it hasn't had the same uh, like hit to miss ratio for me and watching videos that were, obviously filmed on a green screen like right yeah obviously and nate not catching that and none of them catching that make me make sense with these characters but i just kept thinking how are they affording this helicopter to a remote mountain in china or wherever they are tibet sorry thank you um how are they like how are they traveling all over the world you know how do they get you know I've been to Machu Picchu. I know what it means to get there. It takes a while. (laughs) Like, that's what I kept thinking. And that's not at all what I should be thinking. And so that means that uh, I I was having a hard time buying in. I will have a much easier time buying in if it's them trying to win back their daughter um, just through, I don't know, various hijinks and showing her you know, how much they care about her, which is what it looks like we're headed for. And that's so I'm I'm just so much more on board with that. It's not even funny. Uh so so I I like that they went ridiculous and wacky for this premiere, but I'm very ready to be back to something more grounded and hopefully that's where we're headed.
1: Yeah, but anytime they do grounded they always veer away from it is the problem mm-hmm. of like all right, we're going to settle into our new apartment in New York. Well, that that went awry pretty quickly. All right, we're going to settle into this witness protection house in Alaska or on the run house in Alaska that promised so much good material yep. of small town, weird fugitive town, Alaska. And then they just went, nah, not this. We're going to put them on a boat and it's going to be bad and weird. And that's kind of what my concern is here of like, all right, yeah, maybe you guys should just stay in your wacky lane maybe a little bit. Um really so- solidly stay in there, but who knows. Um yeah, I I'm hope I'm I'm having hope. I think having a year off made a big difference in terms of like I've mellowed out a lot of my response to season 3. And have just kind of settled into, all right, I think this is the show at this point, and if this season doesn't work, I'm ready to, like, drop and, like, cut ties, as much as that would kind of pain me, because I do, I have so much residual fondness for this show, just based on the first season.
0: Which is mm-hmm. weird,
1: three season, three years later, of, like, oh, that first season was really good, and I'm willing to stick it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It really it is. You know, it's like I was saying last week about Queen Sugar and uh, how I, I still love that show. And I've, I think they've done just a great job all the way through. But like characters that were in three episodes in the beginning of that show still have a huge impact on me <laughs> all these years later, just because of the how instantly the show connected uh, with its well with me specifically, but like how how quickly they're able to build a rapport and a chemistry and a tone on that show. And the same thing is true here. Uh, yeah. So we have, a, we still have a lot of goodwill for the show all these years later, despite kind of being like, I don't know about the season for the last couple of years. So hopefully, yeah. yeah, hopefully everything will be, maybe this season, guys, this season's the season. Ah,
1: maybe what we're, maybe what we're really looking forward here is the fact that the detour and Rex should have had a crossover already. Mm-hmm. And that's how we should that's how we should get our erect our erect resolution is a crossover with the detour.
0: Well, I, I was very excited when the one actor popped up uh from Wrecked popped up in in the last OG. The last OG. Yeah, yeah, I was too. So, I
1: just went, Oh Yeah. Yay.
0: <laughs> so hopefully that's something that maybe there'll be some more uh like TBS. Uh, players or something situation going mm-hmm. on I, I know i would be excited about that uh, i was unfortunately a little less excited about the mid-season return of drunk history this episode is Derek waters believe it or not the three stories for this were launch larry Phineas gage and the green ghost and it was it was a uh like a spooky kind of twist on the history uh format but i d- it didn't really work that well for me and i think it really didn't help that i'm familiar with yeah. Phineas Gage and Greenbrier Ghost very much so. And I, so as they were telling these stories, I was like, but you guys are missing so many of the, the most interesting parts of these stories that it didn't help it. You know, it wasn't getting enough lift <laughs> as uh, uh we may, I would have liked compared to the Launcher Larry flight uh first segment. I mean, I feel like Phineas Gage is such a fascinating figure to reduce it to only like a few minutes really takes away from the potential also it's just not a funny story yeah in you know in a way where it's a fascinating story but it's also very tragic and they didn't embrace that part of it they just like did they like didn't mention his wife once the fact that he went from a kind and loving husband to an abusive pos like that that feels like that's not the kind of thing you should skip when you're talking about this. But they really kind of glossed over some of that. And I think that's a shame. Um, After the Greenberg Ghost was the same thing where it's like, again, maybe it's just... Any any episode or any segment on Drunk History where I there's been a, do, a stuff you missed in history class about it, I'm less likely to enjoy it because they do such a great job around stuff you missed in history class, which for those who don't know is a lovely podcast um, from the House Stuff Works people um, or website. But the point being, uh, yeah, it, it I think it feels all like they're stretching a little bit for their uh, stories, and I, that it can't be easy to come up with new untold or little known historical uh, touch points and stories to to do for the show. And I would imagine that has, you know, something to do with why there's been such delays in the show. But I mean, I feel like just reach out to more history nerds, (laughs) you know, like there's, there've got to be so many that are just very little known. Maybe it's an issue of which stories have enough sourcing that they feel confident presenting them as fact and not as like legends. But I mean I would be super okay with a pivot instead of like a like a 80s sci-fi, seventies sci-fi kind of believe it or not thing, I would be super okay with just like legends and tales, historical tales. I don't know. What do you think?
1: I think that's not a terrible way of doing it. Um yeah, I mean doing like American Americana folklore sort of stuff here. With drunk people, I think would actually kind of behoove them a little bit in a lot of ways. I mean, think about the 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 American folklore that we tell ourselves and how that can get filtered through. Just not even allowing them to maybe even do research of like, what do you remember about X, Y, Z, and tell me about it, um, type of thing. But you don't get to do any. You don't get to do much prep. Um, and I think that's a good idea. Or you get to pick it from a bag the day that you're going to get drunk. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're told what three of the things are. And you j- you can do the prep, but then you're prepped for all three, maybe. And yeah. then the three get confused. And it's just like, they start bleeding over. And I can really look forward to that kind of a reenactment.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or even just like, like those different historical figures throughout the world history there's so many that don't yeah. get covered for various reasons many of them because they are not white dudes um <laughs> or at least not covered in the in the united states and um yeah i just i feel like I feel like, just go through maybe just go through timeless any character on timeless that we haven't had a drunk history segment about yet let's do that let's start with that
1: yeah i think that's a good idea i like that concept and we can invite the people from timeless to get drunk and talk about those things you
0: know i would watch the hell out of that i would watch any of the drunk history anyways but i would definitely watch that Uh with a with a with a a bullet you know a little asterisk star very excited i would make my way to youtube very quickly the way that i did on thursday and then again late thursday night and then early friday morning waiting for late night with seth meyers to put up the day drinking with rihanna segment because it took them Way too long to put that up. I was hoping it might get like released a little early, the way they do with uh, closer looks sometimes. Uh, but no, not till Friday morning on YouTube. Uh, what did you think of the third day drinking installment?
1: Well, it's technically the fourth. Oh, it's the fourth. Because oh, with his family. The- there's a day drinking with his, uh, fam- well, it's fifth, actually, because there's a day drinking with his brother and his father, and then there's a day drinking with his mother. Mm-hmm. And then there's the three celebrity day drinkings that have been done so far, which started with Kelly Clarkson, and then they did Ina Gardner, and now they've done Rihanna. Um, hi, this, is, this is deeply amusing, um, especially after Rihanna gets very drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the initial segments of I'm going to make you some drinks, which is a staple of this segment is kind of fine. She, she doesn't seem to be totally aware of what the joke is supposed Mm -hmm. to be just yet. And then once she gets into it and also once he just starts belting, um, what's the song? Yeah. Work. Right. It's just like, Oh, this is, this is very good. It's not as good as him belting since you've been gone into Kelly Clarkson's Yeah. Not at all. But, but it was still good. It's, it's pretty solid and he's very wasted. He's so, um, so I think it's very, I think it's very good. I don't think it's the best one, mm-hmm. but I also think that this is also legitimately the most excited Seth Meyers has been to do one of these as well. Is the other thing that comes through is like he's super pumped to be day drinking with Rihanna. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes through real, real fast. I think that there's a casualness in the Kelly Clarkson one of like, yeah, no, this is something that we could just do anytime we felt like it. Mm-hmm. But this one is like, this is a special occasion. We got Rihanna, everyone.
0: <laughs> yeah, I will say that I think the Kelly Clarkson one is still my favorite. So I think this, I think it like Kelly Clarkson and then Ina Garden and then Rihanna, though Rihanna's way more game than Ina was.
1: Well that's the thing is like Ina's not drinking really. It doesn't seem like she's drinking, yeah. and Seth is just getting really sloppy drunk. So it's that fun juxtaposition of this person seems relatively sober, that person is not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I also love that it it does feel like this for how how drunk Ina Garden's willing to be on TV, it's like uh-huh. that's very drunk for her i'm sure like i i yeah. have no doubts about the the capability of tv chefs to like celebrity chefs to to put back the wine in in like the privacy of their home and their closed party among parties among friends and everything but uh it does feel like for me watching that it's like okay here's seth meyer's comfortable drunk level on tv and here's her level and that's the juxtaposition is entertaining but um for this one i what i particularly enjoyed was how again how how game she was she was having a great time and um the asides to the camera and the writers when he goes (sighs) like you guys promised she wouldn't how do you remember when what you wore to the dentist like that was amazing and um Bitch, but I have my bunny. Is just like that. It was. It's just Chef's kiss. It was so good. Was just tequila
1: in yeah. a chocolate bunny. <laughs> would you drink that? Uh, yeah, with Rihanna. Okay, but but without Rihanna, well, would you
0: drink not. That? I wouldn't want to okay. sully the chocolate with the tequila or the tequila with the chocolate. I feel like there's a much better way to incorporate those pieces into a drink than to just do that. <laughs> Hitting
1: the chocolate bunny on the bar. <laughs> it was very good. If you cannot tell by the fact that I sort of lost it there for a minute. Remembering him trying to tear the bunny's head The off. first one, he was very and- effective. Yeah, no, it was perfect. And then he's just like, I can't, I can't get it. Yeah. And then he's just banging it against the bar, and just like, oh, this is very good. Yeah,
0: no, it was, oh, it was, it was funny. very good. It was good. <laughs> I do think that the the segment suffers from them not leaving that room, and and the other ones had more structure to them, and I thought that yeah. helped them and made it more interesting. Uh, I think the the fashion thing was good, but they needed more of them. And yes. maybe you know, if that means smaller shots or weaker shots, then that would have been yeah. good. But, uh, you know, I thought the makeup thing was fun, but maybe like going to like a bathroom set with like the bulbs and everything like or something, just a change of venue um, would have made a little bit a little bit more interesting. And then we'd get to see them like going and like setting up the makeup and all that stuff, which would have been more. I think it w- that would have been more interesting as well.
1: Yeah, and I can, I can see, like, a little bit of a change of venue, but I really like that wherever they are, whatever bar yeah. they rented out for that day is really nice. They've rented out three really nice-looking bars slash pubs for yeah. this. Um, so far, like, the one in the Kelly Clarkson thing is just gorgeous. It's, like, sleek sleek and modern, but it's also just really nice. And also, I felt really bad that they wasted so much hot sauce in that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So no, this is something that like I look forward to every year. So that they do now, and I'm just like, but do it more often. I know that you have to take a whole day off. Okay,
0: but to do but this. no, but don't because your liver, right? That's always my yeah, go-to. No, I'm, like I would fair. like
1: more, but more than
0: that, I would like Seth Meyers to not die. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> yeah, but also I I want Seth Meyers' kids to be able to watch this later and go, Dad. You did some weird things for money. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: oh, children. You know I did not do this one for money. I just really wanted yeah. to hang out with Rihanna. So, and this was the only way I was going to be able to to not be too nervous, is to get very yeah. drunk. And just, like, the, the tweets about it were delightful as well. Uh, yes. From from the production cr- staff and from, like, Amber Ruff and his mother's, like, just, like, they are drunk. <laughs> uh, you could just tell the tone from how they're how the tweets were written and yeah there's a there's a warmth to seth meyer's show that comes through really palpably that none of the other late night shows have in quite that same way and it's i think a big part is the uh the clear affection for at least the writers that we see on the show uh, Amber and Jenny come right to mind, but they also did a, a segment with another one of the writers. I want to say named Katie, but I could be wrong. Who's their millennial writer. Uh,
1: Yeah. Who, She's done two segments so far and they're both been really good. Yeah.
0: They're really good. And, um, and, and, and that, like that willingness to raise the profile of their writers with these recurring segments does a lot to make it feel like a really supportive workplace Yeah, and a place that you want to come back and hang out, hang out with. And like, it it makes this sort of a hangout comedy as well. You know, fake real life hangout comedy. It's like you're getting a peek into the Larry Sanders version of the show too. It's interesting.
1: That's a really good, it's a really good description, but I also like when like one of my favorite segments that they started doing is, Seth's writer explains the joke, mm. yeah, and where you get the sense of, despite the fact that Myers has a incredible reputation as a really good boss, um, particularly with his writers. Um, uh, IndieWire, I did a, like a little set visit actually recently and interviewed a couple of folks, and Myers is just kind of general disdain for the writers that come on to do that segment is really a good juxtaposition against how he feels about all the other the other writers who don't do that segment. And so I really appreciate like that juxtaposition of no, everyone has a really good time here and they don't have to work on Fridays, which is also really nice. Um, because they don't do they don't do a Friday show, and they don't even like double up and do a Friday show on Thursdays, which a lot of A lot of um, late night shows will do a Thursday show and then the Friday show tape it on Thursday as well. So they do two shows in one night, um, which is what Colbert does, I think. Um, So there's just a really kind of easy camaraderie there that I also think is afforded to them by um, the fact that they're the second show in the late night lineup on nbc and that that work that you're discussing with myers's program is different from sort of the fawningness that comes through with fallon's yeah let's make celebrities do things type of thing where it's just it's fun and games yeah but it feels it's just that brand like myers doesn't make people do funny things this is the extent of the make people do funny things that he does is the day drinking one yeah and aside from like the cooking segments which he's started to do a bit more of and his cooking segments are just so good because he's just like I don't know what I'm doing where's the wine <laughs> <laughs> um so no I think that the show's really warm and I think the idea that all the writers even like they have the Lutz from 30 rock is a writer who recurs playing leave him alone guy um which is also one of my favorite but guys I've watched a lot of late night with Seth Meyers on YouTube um so I'm very deep inside the sketch of this so yeah I just really like this show and the fact that they can get away with doing like day drinking uh I think it's just really really kind of glorious yeah
0: i will also give a shout out to the band over at colbert uh jen batiste and and his whole band because they have had some excellent music choices recently for various cues they did some zelda for the john stewart clip they did some bach the other day um like i just love the range and i and how quick batiste is over there on the on the keys with the musical Uh references anytime colbert mentions something you can like the delay is great because you can hear him figuring out the piece, the song, figuring out the key, and jumping in. Yeah. And usually Colbert is is just a little thrown, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah," which is great. And uh, it's like it's very challenge accepted, <laughs> which I yes. appreciate. Um. So so yeah. shout out to those guys as well.
1: Yes, absolutely, and yeah, he's that. Baptiste and his band are like by far and away. I think probably my favorite part about Colbert's show, mm-hmm. even though I do enjoy Colbert's monologue and Meanwhile and some of the other I'm stuff. I'm really digging Meanwhile. But- I feel like that's that's a recent
0: addition, right?
1: yeah no meanwhile has been within the past two months or mm-hmm. so of them doing quick one-off jokes right after the monologue. and it's been it's been really smart from just a all right, extending the monologues to a certain extent, but also doing a very easy sort of second segment that we can put on YouTube as well. so we don't have to do like his um his goop lifestyles brand ripoff um Covington house or whatever mm-hmm. it is, which is also very good Um, or some of the other more sort of expensive things like the um, the giant hat thing that I can't think of off the top of my head, which I've never really enjoyed Um, or the God segments, which now they just kind of thread into the monologue sometimes. So um, I think that the one thing that I will say is that I have to assume that they're going to bring back the hunger games riffs from the 2016 elections. Now, when uh democratic democratic people start breaking out which means that he gets to break out his stanley tucci impression from (laughs) the hunger games and i'm here for colbert to reprise that um reprise that um impression because it's very good and it's very silly
0: yeah it's very good Uh, highly recommended uh yeah seeing when they pivot from Dude donkey style to the hunger games thing if they return to that or something new will be interesting certainly um yeah but yeah i just like They drink it with Rihanna. They just win.
1: Yeah. No, they do
0: another uh, pivot over to another late night show here we got uh, last week tonight with john oliver and this episode they make the H- case for impeachment and i really appreciated that they did this segment and i feel like uh there's been a bit of a ball rolling in popular culture and with more uh, politicians coming forward with thoughtful discussions of impeachment um and i feel like the this is a prime example that I can just like show people. <laughs> like I'm tired of. T- yes. I could just just watch this and just hold the phone up to their face, um, for how I feel about impeachment.
1: Yeah, and I think I think that there was definitely some. Res- I wouldn't be surprised if there's some resistance because Oliver's been really straightforward, especially w- over the past two years. About oh, we don't want to devote every episode to Trump. It's really tiring, and we don't want to do yeah. that. But it, all it does is raise his as- profile. Yeah, but as impeachment, like you said, becomes a part of the discourse, especially over the past month after the Miller report dropped, of, all right, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about how this is going to sort of function. And more importantly, and this is kind of the important thing about this episode, is not necessarily sort of the historical approach of impeachment, but the cultural concepts of impeachment and what that means going forward. And I think that it... Engages in the discourse really nicely and it provides a really good primer, sort of. On well, n- no, you don't need both high crimes and misdemeanors, Mr. President. It's one or the other. Um, but this is also why serial commas are important.
0: Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I always will love an Oxford comma joke, so thank you for that. Uh, yeah, and, and just like this idea of um, the discussion of okay. People seem confused about what impeachment is. Let's lay it out, what it actually means, the historical background on it, who has actually been impeached, who hasn't been impeached, what it has actually meant. And also just spelling out there are consequences to not impeaching as well and not pretending that it's a choice between no impact or, or a potentially negative impact with impeachment. That's not what the reality is. And so to see a thoughtful discussion of that, I think, was something I certainly appreciated.
1: Yeah, and like you said, it's a good way to sort of explain this. But it's also like one of the things where I see people kind of like want to be cautious about it, particularly on the democratic politician side. It's just like, but but personally speaking, but why? Yeah. Why would you why would you not want to hold someone accountable? Yeah. When there's evidence of things right here, <laughs> and I understand this concept of like, well, if we send it to the Senate, it's not going to matter. But you still keep passing legislation, yeah. House of Representatives, that you know won't go anywhere. So I don't quite understand this. Yeah, you don't get to make disconnect. that we, argument. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's not how that works. Yeah, I feel exactly <laughs> the same with that. It's
0: like, well, you either can make that argument. Um, And not pass bills you know will never go to the floor in the Senate, or you cannot make that argument and keep doing what you're doing. And if your job, part of what your strategy is, is to keep people engaged in the ideals of uh, the democratic norms of the country and in presenting yourself as the uh, reasonable alternative to what has been happening in the Trump administration, you don't get to then argue, well, but it doesn't matter anyways. So it's like, no, you have been making an idealistic argument since like the day of the election that this is not acceptable, this is not who we want to be as Americans. Um, and that principles matter and the norms matter and all these things matter. And if if they're if if you just say, well, but they're just gonna vote it down anyways then why should you ask people to get inspired and in dis- having discussions with their family members and their friends and-, and and trying to win over new voters if it doesn't matter anyways, if that's the reason for doing it is we think we'll win, not because it's right.
1: Yeah. And that falls into the same sort of mentality of, and this provides a kind of a decent segue into the next discussion of, well, if you're just consumed with re- winning, then you just just become mitch mcconnell that's all this is is that you focus on that and god please don't become mitch mcconnell he's, no one wants to do no that. one
0: wants that <laughs> uh the next show of course is full front with samantha b and i was torn between very much enjoying all the turtle jokes and also feeling like the turtle jokes are like a big reason that mcconnell's been able to do as much as he has to just ruin America uh, because he looks like a turtle so people don't take him seriously Uh, and people uh, don't see the extent of his impact in our political discourse and in really just who we are as a political country Um, so I was torn with that one but I was certainly grateful that we got a segment focusing on McConnell and even more importantly, a segment focusing on, Oh my God, just fuck off and run for Senate because you're not going to win. And the Senate's more important. Oh my God, what is wrong with you?
1: Yeah. So the McConnell stuff wasn't anything particularly news. I'm overly familiar sort of with McConnell's profile. Um, So the extent to which he's, mastered senate procedure to the point where he can just make it dance however he wants um speaks to a number of different issues but mostly the fact that he's just really good at this kind of thing um he's also just terribly corrupt in terms of mobilizing it but that's that's something different and so b's ex- Bee's concept that this is something that people don't want to do i'm just like but you're citing this one source so clearly other people have done it um for all your information for this. Uh, so but I still appreciated that because I think that the more attention that's put on McConnell, apart from like turtle jokes, um, and apart from chin escaping jokes, that graphic of his chin disappearing in the 1950s sort of garb with the tinker toys in front of him was worth it. <laughs> um I I but I do agree that there's just this weird sense of he doesn't seem dangerous because he looks so feckless in a lot of ways. And the public image of him that's been built up, especially over the Obama years, didn't help with that. And, um, but he's also just, low-key supervillain at the same time sometimes oh yeah like that clip that they showed of him taking a sip of water after being asked about the supreme court uh, uh after being asked about a supreme court vacancy opening up this year um that sort of thing it's just like he's low-key supervillain so we should we should talk about that um so i was glad to have that sort of thing but i was like you said um very glad to have the run for senate god damn it um discussion because it's really accurate it's like painfully accurate for a lot of these people um the montana governor is a really good example of yeah you should just run for senate um and i think a lot of it speaks to the degree to which and this is true for basically anyone that runs for president though like this is not a statement of on what's his name's i can't even remember his name Um, I think it starts with a B, but I can't remember, um, the sense of ego that they have. But like, if you're going to run for president, you have an ego to a certain extent of, yeah, I can do this. And it's like, that is, no, why, why would you have that kind of sociopathic concept of you can do this? Um, so I think that that's kind of built into a certain extent, but it's also results in like a kind of a misguided sort of approach of like. No, maybe you can't do this, but you should definitely run for Senate because you clearly could win in your state sort of a deal, which B does a really good job of outlining with this particular Montana governor of you beat your Republican by four points. It seems reasonable that you'd be able to beat a Republican for the Senate seat whenever that opens up in Montana. And you you could probably do that pretty well. And I mean... I think that's maybe, like, one of the things, like, particularly with, like, after Stacey Abrams lost, the um, loss slash was potentially not allowed to win, depending on how we want to split that particular hair. Um, The Georgia governorship of uh, not, yeah, the governorship of her running for Senate, for me, makes an infinite amount more sense than her running for president did. But that's... That I think is sort of like the discussion of like, well, there's six senators running, but they're all going to s- basically stay put if they lose. So it's not like a big deal. So I think that that, that was just a really good sort of a, a way to approach that, especially with some of, again, the lower tier folks who maybe wouldn't necessarily win Senate because I don't think de Blasio would win a Senate no. seat, but you never know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but also Howard Schultz wouldn't win a Senate seat. Um yeah, so yeah, let's 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 not encourage too many people to run. Yeah, for
0: let's yeah, let's keep us anybody's threatening to run as an independent just like just
1: keep them out of the conversation. I like my two lady senators here in Washington, yeah. so yeah, I don't I don't really need Howard yeah. Schultz to run, but
0: we do need to flip the Senate. So, yeah, mm-hmm. oh, gosh, I try to think of what would be the sweetest thing: having our first female president first woman president uh or first woman of color president um or mitch mcconnell losing i feel like mitch mcconnell losing would actually be as as I mean, granted as a white woman but i feel like that would be more impactful to me in the moment <laughs> i would just be so happy I mean, So even if the republicans keep the senate if mitch mcconnell is gone that would be really great <sighs> yeah. who knows yeah it would be who we'll see next year, I suppose. Yay. <laughs> Another year of this. Um in the meanwhile uh meanwhile, catching up with Jane the Virgin, chapter ninety four, uh I loved some of the stuff that we got in this episode. And the biggest thing I loved was Mateo. Everything with Mateo yes! in this episode was so good um and mateo is so many of us right now when he's like yeah but you're just gonna break up again i mean like let's be honest how many times have you guys gotten back together for realsies this time i promise my like six-year-old son and then broken up Ugh, yeah i was very good i was very glad that there was an awareness of these really important elements around uh co-parents getting romantically involved and then and then breaking back up and I thought that was was really great um and I think even like this is the most I have enjoyed um of Rogelio's pilot plot in quite a while um and it's because it was just like 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 not even a C plot there was like a D or an E plot and that was it was a background gag
1: bit of business for him it was a running it was a runner gag yeah. in this it wasn't even a plot it was just a runner. that was
0: the right amount and um, there was also the right amount of sin of sin Rostro, which which was none. So this yeah. this episode had a lot of, of good things for me.
1: And not only that, but it also had a lot of uh, Krishna, um, which I really appreciated, it. And, and that also meant that it had a lot of Petra and Jane's relationship, which just continues to be my favorite thing, particularly about this season. Um, but also this idea of them fighting over Petra at the end to be their respective best person at the wedding. It's just like, This is so good. Yeah. This is so good. And it speaks to like the fact that the show has really embraced Petra um, as they evolve, re-evolved her and Mm rejiggered her a little bit. Well, not a little bit. A a lot. lot, Yeah. Over the the course of the show's run to the point where this feels completely organic. And how is this not always how this show behaved with Petra? Um, Because it's delightful and it's wonderful. And it just makes me deeply, deeply happy. But <laughs> this entire storyline before they revealed that Petra and um, Krishna were working together reminded me of a tweet I sent like two seasons ago in which I suggested, Wow, I really hope this Marbella plot just ends up with Krishna owning the hotel. And <laughs> I just went, Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> they listened to me.
0: She listened to me. No, thank you. I appreciate it.
1: They listened to me. I did this! This was me! <laughs> um It was it was not me, but I really enjoyed the their whole celebration of like, we fooled him, we got him! And it just went, oh, I'm really glad that this wasn't this wasn't like actual scheming scheming type stuff. And So that reveal was really good. And the f- <laughs> the fact the line of, you pay me enough that I actually kind of don't hate you anymore is just like ah. Uh... I love this show right now with these certain pockets. Um, But yeah, your point about the Mateo stuff, I think is really good. And framing it in a degree of being concerned about his medication, um, I think is really good and shows an awareness of it's difficult to get medications right, especially for like ADHD and finding the certain levels and that kind of thing. But to frame it as, no, you've jerked me around one too many times. (laughs) I'm not going to be excited for you all. I just really appreciate it. So I liked that and I liked um pushing zoe a little bit and like from different perspectives from different people being like no you 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 need to do this you can't run away from this again and i like that even though i was really upset when alba cheated
0: yeah well uh, (laughs) yes but any episode that remembers that she was a physical therapist is a good one in Uh my book because the show has gotten so far from that it's incredibly frustrating um And that was such a defining part of, of, uh, you know, it's such an important part of how they defined her early on, being someone who, like, was a working woman, who had a skilled job, who had a, like, something that's, like, considered, like, that takes training, and you go to an office, and they were very actively not going to show her cooking a lot, not show her being a maid, not show her doing these other jobs that so often um, Latina... Actors are relegated to on American TV. Uh, that that was such a conscious effort on their part, and then they just got away from it entirely. And then they had to go work at the gift shop instead of letting her still be a physical therapist. Not that there's anything wrong with working at a, at, at a gift shop, but if part of your like mission statement with the character is to broaden representation, just a random service job is not going to do that. Um. So yeah. so I was I was grateful at the shout out to you know Alba's long lengthy career as a physical therapist
1: no that was really nice as well and i had legitimately forgotten which tells you like how much the show had shifted away from that
0: yeah definitely um any other thoughts on where things are at
1: for for this last run-up of episodes i mean the sin rusher plot's gonna kick in hardcore i think at this point um since we've only got a couple episodes left and they tease the fact that the wedding is not going to go as planned um, which just means you guys should have just gotten married like right now instead, and just shown the, shown the Latin lover narrator who's boss. You're he's not the boss of you guys, okay? You can do whatever you want.
0: Yeah, I really think that at this point, there's only seven episodes left. They cannot uh-huh. do anything six. to. Je- oh, sorry, six. six. So, well, yeah. yes, six. yeah, six episodes left. Yeah, sort of. They can. Yeah. They can't do anything to jeopardize the romantic relationships of like anyone. Um yeah. the most they can do is bring JR back. Um and and so it, all the drama is going to have to come from other things. And and I you know, that means that it's we're going to get a lot of contrivances basically. Um I really appreciated them settling the Marbella at least in theory. I don't trust it. Um but I would love if no. if that's now just settled and we can just focus on one main ridiculous like death-defying plot, being the Sin Roster stuff with the secondary pilot stuff as like our flavor, you know, our ridiculous yeah. Hollywood sill- silliness. Um, so, so I mean, we'll see. But um, I appreciated all of the various romantic entanglements leading us to where we were in this episode. Um, I don't think that we needed to go as many turns <laughs> and twists as we did, but where we got to, I think was was good. And um, yeah, we'll see where they take us to. It. I would be very surprised if the wedding wasn't the finale.
1: Yeah, I would be too, but we'll see. Cause they're saying like, in theory, it's a couple of months off timeline wise within the show. So I'll be curious about how much we're going to speed up, slow down or what we're going to do. Um, but also this pilot's taking forever. It is. Um, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> pilots don't always, pilots don't take this long. Um, no, typically. they don't No. Um, anyways, uh,
0: our next episode is Big Little Lies, which came back for season two on HBO. This week we had Telltale Hearts. And mostly I just wanted to check in to say, yeah, Meryl Streep's as good as everybody said. And watching her play this kind of character, um, just go to, to to HBO and just play a kind of controlling, bully, passive-aggressive uh, mom character uh, is delightful. And she's... A master. She's just so good. And and she's surrounded by all these other amazing actors. And then then, like i I really love season one. I came to it late, but I really loved it. And then to watch the show instead of like struggling in its second season, a second season that has absolutely no reason to exist, uh, but instead see it just heightened and elevated because you added Meryl Streep. <laughs> It's just delightful. I love it. And I think that the um the threads that they're pulling at are really compelling. I think they're doing a good job with it. And I'm really excited for the rest of the season. I don't know that it will necessarily be in my top whatever, but it's just so fun to watch. It's just to watch to watch Meryl Streep listen and react is Great! I just I the, I love the, I love her as this character. I love her in this role. I love this the idea. I get to watch this like it's not. It feels almost like trashy TV. It's not, but it's like the Meryl Streep version of that in you know in this really strange way where it's just you're waiting for people for Reese Witherspoon and and her to to just be passive aggressive and bitchy at each other. And yes, there are themes of guilt, and uh, you know, obviously there are the threads of domestic abuse that came up through the first season that you know linger in the second season. But mostly, we're just, I just get to watch them snipe at each other, and it's so fun. <laughs> so that's where I'm at with Big Little eyes. I'm I'm very much enjoying these first two episodes of the season.
1: Good. I'm really glad to hear that, and I think most people have been enjoying the season mm-hmm. as well so far. So
0: yeah, definitely. Um, I'm not enjoying everything with Nova. On Queen Sugar. I no longer imagine. I mean, let me be clear. I, I'm i enjoying the hell out of the show. I'm just upset with Nova, and I think they're doing a beautiful job, an excellent job of backing me up on that. What did you think of this episode?
1: Yeah. I, and see, like, the Nova stuff is fine. My thing is like, oh my God, Micah grew up a whole lot. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they do that, though, man. Like, as someone who teaches teenagers, sometimes they come Mm -hmm. back from, like, a month away, and you're like, I'm certain you grew a foot. And also, your voice is different, and you changed your hair. You
1: look a solid two years older. And it's, you know. Yeah, no. I was just like, did we recast Micah? No, it's the same actor. Mm -hmm. It's just, you got got old real fast. Yeah. (laughs) No, so the Nova stuff continues to just um like really establish like some setup but it also reinforces like fruit of the fruit of the um poisonous tree type of stuff of no it's a little late for you to want to rework some chapters nova this is why you talk to people in your memoirs when you're going to do this sort of thing um and so particularly the confrontation with um charlie at the end of like yeah, laying yourself bare is a completely different thing than doing all of us. And, but I'm writing about the American family. Mm, yeah, but you didn't ask this American family for its permission. Um, So I think that there's really good dramatic stuff happening here. And I really appreciate where Charlie's coming from, particularly from the perspective of... Micah's going to agree with you about this. This is where he is and this is how he's going to see this and I'm going to be the monster again um, which is always an anxiety for Charlie when it comes to Micah of the degree to which she has to be the disciplinarian, the degree to which she has to be the one that says no the degree to which she has to be the one that uproots him and does all this stuff um, while everyone else gets to be the cool parent or the cool aunt or etc etc cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, she has to be the one that says no and i the, this is the sort of a final nail in that kind of a coffin especially as he becomes more politically attuned and aware i think is a really good way to um it's a really good way to twist it just enough so that it's not just you're ruining my reputation sort of thing it's a, you're ruining my reputation with my son. And that's a totally different sort of concept there. And I really like that that decision's being made. But also, you're just, you're ruining everyone's reputation. And also, David Allen Greer is here. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: I'll be right back to that. But first, I wanted to mention that it sounds like she didn't mention any of Micah stuff. Because if uh-huh. if she had, I feel like we needed to have heard, heard about it in that conversation. And yeah. so to talk about... Blue's parentage, and not Micah, Micah's stuff with the cop. When Micah's at least started to talk about that publicly, somewhat at least, like that is that just that's very telling for me. Yeah, for for my for Nova, it's like I'm protecting the the nephew that I'm closer with.
1: Yeah, and I think also like there's, I'm sure if the show brings up, well, he's a minor, so and it's just like. Mm, you talked about talking about blue.
0: Yep, <laughs>
1: yep, yep, yep. Yeah, so
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, we got to talk about David Allen Greer because I love that casting, and uh, he's terrific. And you can tell he's just he's gonna crush it. Uh, he's so charming and slick in these early scenes we see with him but in a way that feels just a little like artificial and, like a different show and then when you realize who he is you're, you're like that's exactly why because that's that's him to a T and you can I mean David Alan Greer guy he's amazing i look forward to when uh when he turns mean like we know he's gonna oh, uh cuz he's gonna crush oh, he's it he's gonna just
1: turn mean so fast
0: yeah yeah well and you can just see how by was won over by him over and over again and how she had such a hard time leaving. Um, cause you can see just how sweet he can be and how winning he is uh-huh. and charismatic. I think that was essential in casting this character. And I wouldn't have thought of David Allen Greer cause like I just, I know him so well from other things. Um, but I think it's actually a, a really great move.
1: Yeah, it is. And I think that the, uh, whatchamacallit, this, him showing up at this time when we were actually discussing. Well, wait, what kind of conflict can Vi and Hollywood have? And hi, hi, <laughs> we have it right here. Yes. Hi, <laughs> we we cast it really well, everyone. <laughs> um, and it's like, oh, kudos, show, kudos.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, and I wonder if that's you know depending on on various legal things. The uh-huh. prize prize pies being only in her name mm-hmm. now could become a liability, and yeah, uh, that is such a twist of the knife. Ugh, it's mean. It's mean. <laughs> Queen Sugar writers, it's effective but mean.
1: Well, that's Queen Sugar writers. They're effective but mean a lot of the time. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> Do you have any other thoughts on this episode? No, just that it was it was good, but it's also. It's also one of those episodes where I kind of went, why was this not aired in a two-hour block with the premiere um, sort of deal? Just because so much of it is still unpacking the premiere that I'm like, "Mm, you should have done a two-hour premiere, Queen Sugar. You've done it in the past. So this is one of those instances where I was like, you could have done it here. And I think both of these episodes as a unit would have worked better together.
0: Have we talked about being glad Erica Tazel is back on our TV?
1: No, we didn't, and that was the other thing I meant to bring up is like, because I kind of like did not recognize her last week. Like, it didn't register in my brain that that was Erica Tazel, and then this week I went, "Oh, that's Erica Tazel!" Oh my
0: god, maybe she'll finally get a good character after being on some of our favorite shows. Ah,
1: Queen Sugar, I just love you so much. <laughs> yeah, please use her really well. Please because- give her something good. No one else can seem to do it except for Legends of Tomorrow, really? Strangely
0: (laughs) enough, yeah. Not what I would have anticipated between Justified and The Good Fight and Legends of Tomorrow.
1: And then, yeah, because Legends of Tomorrow is just like, hey, Erica, you want to punch a gorilla? Yeah, you do. (laughs) You know you do.
0: (laughs) Anyways, okay. Uh, What wins your week in TV?
1: Um that's a good question um i think day drinking with Riata wins my weekend tv um but for something that we didn't discuss um sarah's on my head it's some um, penultimate episode uh this week and it was really good the show's just so weird and so heartbreaking and really really good and i really like it a lot and it has like one more episode left and i'm just like no <laughs> don't go show don't go come back to me and i still haven't watched it yet because it came out a couple days ago my and my person i watched it together so hopefully tonight but what about you what won your week in because that episode aired last week technically but i hadn't watched it yet so mm. i'm counting it hey once. that works what about you what won your week in TV?
0: i'm gonna split it between big little lies and queen sugar because i really enjoy okay. them both and i think they both promise a lot of Really interesting things to come. So uh, I will also give a quick shout out to So You Think You Can Dance, which has had some amazing auditions in the last couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, I didn't anticipate keeping up with it, but it's been one that it's easy to go to their YouTube page and just watch the auditions. And mm-hmm. they've, they're, they some seriously impressive dancers this season. So, uh, yeah, if you're, if, if you're looking for a new YouTube spiral listeners, maybe check out what what's happening over in the, the auditions over it. So I think you can dance because they are impressive. Um, now we'll take a break, listen to a trailer and come back with our season spotlight on season three of Jessica Jones. Hello, Jessica Jones.
1: You are a cheater. You were given every advantage allowed to make mistake after mistake you can't control yourself you have no discipline just brute force what do you want i want you to die gregory salinger he's smarter than both of us combined i don't know about that know who you are it's not exactly a secret so you know i can break your face i barely survived him salander did this let's go get him i don't need your help
0: and you don't need mine he was unjustly arrested when you cozy up to maniacs people around you get hurt everybody's got a story a beginning a middle work as what super cat burglar you know what jess you do it your way i'm gonna do it my way there's still a way this ends with me respecting you it's not my highest priority right now
1: jessica jones you believe that you could save the world but you're terrified you've already failed them and you have because you are not if nobody thinks you are. Like, I give a shit what other people think.
0: That was the trailer for season three of Netflix's and Marvel's Jessica Jones, the final season of Jessica Jones, and I think the final season of any of the Marvel shows, right? Did we Correct. already get that second Punisher season? We did, yes. Yeah, okay. So this is the final Marvel TV season, and I watched four episodes, you watched the whole season, um, I watched four episodes like last week, Friday or Saturday and just kept dragging my feet to get back to it <laughs> until a couple days ago. Um, when you so graciously, you know, blessed me to, to go, so you gave me your blessing to go watch other things instead. Um, and the reason is this. I want to like this season so much. I really love Jessica Se- Jessica Jones season one, and I really liked parts of season two of Jessica Jones, but I just don't care about, like, anything in Jessica Jones season three in these first four episodes. Um, I think the breaking point for me, though, was Burger Dude, and he's just such a caricature of that uh, well-actually bro dude who's very confident that he knows what you, what food you like better than you know what you like. And I, I kept waiting for it to be a joke because that's the kind of character that in season one would have been a parody or a commentary on a, like a stock character. But in here in season three, we're supposed to take him seriously as a counterpoint to Jessica and a love interest. And I just don't like, it's just bad
1: I'm not used to saying that about Jessica Jones. Uh, uh, please tell me, does that, at least that part get better? Um, I mean, they t- kind of tone down the potential romance as the season goes on a little bit. Not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Because of, he becomes more useful as a plot device um, due to his empathic abilities. Everyone, um, Eric, um, who's the guy, who's burger dude that we're talking about, is a... Interpretation of the character Mindwave, which is a relatively sort of minor um, Marvel villain here repurposed as an ally who can just detect and if some someone has done something bad or evil and it gives them like splitting headaches type of thing, particularly if their intentions are bad. So it becomes a way for people to sort of identify um, things. But it also becomes a way to reassure us that despite Jessica's inner turmoil, she's at her core a good person, which is essentially what Eric is here to do the entire season. Is, mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't give me headaches. Um, so you must be a good person. And that's sort of like the thrust of what Eric is here for is to sort of reassure us that Jessica's a good person as Trish slowly deteriorates.
0: Yeah. Yep, basically. And uh, the issues with Trish in season one and two, she just gets more annoying here. It's like they didn't, at least in the first four episodes, they wouldn't commit to what her superpowers are, other than that she doesn't have super strength. And uh, instead of showing her doing cool things, which is apparently how she has this new calling and mission in life, um, they just show her skulking around and being really irritating and it's very disappointing because I want to like you know I like the actor but I just I I don't I just I don't care so hard about
1: Trish yeah and I think that don't care about X is sort of the running theme of this particular season of everyone seems bored even Kristen Ritter seems a little bit bored with the material she's getting here and with the rhythms of the show to the point where I don't blame her for being like, guys, I'm just going to peace out in episode two and direct this one. See ya. (laughs) Because that's what happens. She directs um, the heavy Trish flashback episode that kind of establishes everything that Trish was doing. Which Um, we
0: didn't need to see because like there was almost no new information in that episode. Yeah.
1: There's very little new information, like you said, like, the extent of Trish's powers largely extend to some degree of enhanced strength, but not a lot, but mainly the sort of agility and speed aspect of it, Um, which makes sense, again, given Hellcat, uh, which is where Trish comes from, but there's just a certain degree of, okay, and... type of thing, but the... Okay, and sort of also sums up a lot of this particular season. Um so listeners, Kate got up to season four, which is when we first encounter Gregory Salinger, um, played really kind of deliciously. Um <laughs> I'm rolling by, my eyes
0: very hard, listeners.
1: Yeah. By Jeremy Bob, who if you watched Russian doll Russian doll, you remember as the jerk ass English professor mm-hmm. um and who was in there, um but here he plays a hyper intelligent serial killer, which I just go, but Melissa Rosenberg, you, you left all of this when you did Dexter, didn't you? And the answer is no, you did not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you did yep. not leave any of it. Um so Salinger is playing a version of the also like relatively unknown uh Marvel villain fool killer, um, which is just the most ridiculous name. Um, even more so than Mind Wave. Um, but his whole shtick, and here's the thing that I'm going to launch into: is his whole shtick is the fact that he considers supers to be frauds and cheaters. They didn't do any work to get the abilities that they have, to get the reputations that they have. This is a guy who is like a physicist of some kind, even though they don't really talk about that a whole lot. They mention it offhand to establish how smart he is and then never mention it again. Because um, that's how this works. But this idea, particularly within the Netflix, Marvel television shows, of people having grudges against the concept of a superhero as a cheater, as a fraud, I think is something that fits really nicely into this particular world of why do you think you're better than us type of deal, especially with these sort of street level type of heroes that A, are to a certain degree more accessible than Captain America, Iron Man, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, and can play that up. So I think that there's a really good concept here on top of the fact that He's an inte- he's a dude complaining, particularly about a woman who is better than he is. So there's mm-hmm. like various elements of a sh- of a good concept here that the show does nothing with, can't figure out anything to do with it because there's constantly shifting little things. Of we found evidence that he's a serial killer. There's actually no evidence that he's a serial killer, so we had to let him go. That standard we caught him in episode seven marvel netflix show thing but we had to let him go because we had another five episodes to do <laughs> sorry about that um that kind of stuff so between that and then trish's deteriorating mental state of becoming a full-on vigil full-on punisher-esque vigilante of wanting to kill bad people basically almost kill bad people and mm-hmm. they end up killing um uh salinger ends up killing Dorothy um trish trish's biological mom and um jessica's adopted mom which but, is what what but
0: let's not forget trish's abusive piece of shit yes. biological yes. mom that we are supposed to have forgotten at least that's how she's treated early on that we're supposed to have forgotten that she was a physically and emotionally abusive
1: it's how she's treated early on but the show reminds us about that after dorothy dies Um, or just before Dorothy dies, that she was kind of a terrible human being. And also episode eight is, I think it's episode eight, is configured to a certain degree of um, flashbacks to Dorothy and a young Trish. And some abuse, but not like really bad abuse or anything, just like really low-key abuse um, happening So I think that there's just elements of like some of this stuff getting mixed up and lost in different places, and I also feel like a lot of this might have worked better in concert with Jessica's mom than it Mm -hmm. does sort of as a standalone. Yeah, as a standal not a standalone, but as a way to heighten uh, what's going on with Salinger's character, Um, because it just doesn't quite work um, here, and Rob can only. Bob I'm sorry can only do so much to elevate the material that he's getting because he's good but he's also like in a very rote sort of role here um so overall there's just not a lot of there's a lot of like I think good concepts here that just can't find can't make their way through all the noise and all the clutter um and I mean we haven't even talked about Hogarth we haven't even talked about Malcolm um because Hobart does some really, truly despicable stuff here, um, like, on various different levels, like, from trying to break up an open marriage (laughs) um, that drives a guy to commit suicide, I'm pretty sure, um, to, yeah, no, you cast John Benjamin Hickey for three episodes. Mm. (laughs) Um, And then... um, also, that she has the quote-unquote love of her life there to care for her while her ALS starts to get real bad. Um, and then just whatever's going on with Malcolm, I don't understand what's going on with Malcolm.
0: Yeah, what's going uh, on with Malcolm is they don't, don't know what to do with him. And so they're like, let's make him dark, even though it doesn't fit the character at all. Um, I don't think – I mean, I like that actor. Of course, you know, yeah. I'm going to stain anybody from, from Spartacus. But um, – but I really and, and giving him a romantic interest who we are absolutely supposed to believe he's very invested in, and the show is invested in their relationship at least early in the season, um, is refreshing. Yeah, that breaks
1: down. No surprise. I, I'm shocked, shocked. Um,
0: but um, this like you can tell they're positioning him to be actually he's empty inside, and he loves this and this uh, like be the proximity to Jerry, I guess his made him a bad person um it's just not interesting it's less interest it's a lot less interesting than what we got for him last season even if it got repetitive um the the stuff with uh the the idea that he's good at something that is eroding his morality is interesting but like yeah the the notion that Jessica is a good person and he's a bad person fundamentally is i don't believe it basically um no. so there's that and um with hogarth i i love that she does these horrible things i think it's co- much more interesting completing character uh yes. you know i have thoughts on the cello um so the cello playing the the music overall that i heard was lovely good recordings good i mean the the quartet i'm guessing were uh, the other players were all actual players um i i wasn't looking too closely but it sounded really great and the little clip the little bits i did notice were good um however um just basic research is gonna tell you that cellists like violinists can't have nails and so when kith has these like manicured not long nails but still any sort of nail and then she's like playing the che- I'm like that looks awkward um it's supposed you were supposed to think it's super hot what's happening here when when uh, Jerry's making out with her while she's playing but i was just so distracted by the bow technique and the nails that like it really was not working for me um granted i, I that's a me thing not an everyone thing but uh, there's no reason that scene shouldn't be re- ridiculously hot, and the the messed up bow angles were not helping, and the 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 inability to make the right hand shape because she had nails, um, really was taking me out of it. Though the other stuff about like no no no, you cannot take my cello. Uh, I'm gonna stop playing the cello. Put it over here, and now we can fool around because if you are messing around with me while I'm hurting my cello and you hurt my cello, there's gonna be a problem. Like all of that, I was like yes. This is how you treat a cello Netflix show. You don't just let somebody take your violin like Ellen Page did and like somebody's never played an instrument. Oh, God. That still is with me, everyone. It's like the thing that stayed with me from the Umbrella Academy is when Ellen Page's character let some rando just play her violin who'd never had a lesson before with anyone. Never. Never would that happen. Anyways... um. The rest of the cello stuff I was enjoying, Uh, and it was a a nice... It it fit with the character. It was just so nice to see someone who's not a supervillain actually enjoying and valuing classical music, because that's never what happens on these shows. Um, And as for this more despicable part of Jerry, I mean, it's perfectly in character, and I like that... They embrace that instead of, like, running from it. This idea that her diagnosis has made her more of her best and worst qualities, I think, is is absolutely fitting. And I really enjoyed that part of it.
1: Yeah, and I think there's an element of that, but it's also just really despicable. And it's kind oh, yeah. of hard to reconcile. And it's really bad. It's, and especially because she ends up, like, representing Salinger. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, she does. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. That's the problem is she ends up representing Salinger to a certain degree. Um, That's not good. (laughs) Um, uh, As a way to like get back at Jessica um, for something else. And it's just like ad nauseum sort of exhaustion of the kind of roundabout way that, again, because these shows are 13 episodes and they don't have story for 13 episodes, um, that it just, it feels really it feels just overly long and bloated, um which is the one good thing about all of these shows ending is that there's no more bloat to have to <laughs> deal with um so I think everything's and everything sort of ends okay to a certain degree, like Trish ends up being sent off to the raft um for super powered bad guys um while Jessica watches and Jessica ends almost leaves to basically go to Mexico. But Kilgrave's voice sort of like flashes up in her head and like goads her into sort of running away type of deal. And like they played up with like a little bit of blue light coming up. And even the ticket from uh, Grand Central is a light purple mm-hmm. even before the lighting shift. Um, and th- hearing that voice like re triggers her desire to stay and reaffirms the fact that no, I am actually good at giving a shit when i give a shit type of Mm -hmm. deal um even if my giving a shit ended up with my best friend going to prison for superhero super villains and my adoptive mother getting her throat slit but i am generally (laughs) (laughs) well and uh, that's just such trish
0: stuff you know that was all her and oh man i was just getting so um exhausted with her um because I'm a good person, I'm a hero. This was what it means to be a hero. It was just so completely immature, and like had very little thought to it. It was such a one dimensional thing, and yeah. it so it was just impossible for me to get invested in.
1: Yeah, and, and it doesn't about. really. It doesn't add. They don't add a great deal of depth over it either. Of like, there's some discussion about how Trish is able to remember what it's like to be powerless, which is something that Jessica's not able to remember, quote unquote. But it's also like. Trish, do you remember when your best friend was mind controlled by a psychopath? Yeah. Um, because I do.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's kind um, of a defining yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think a lot of what boils down to, and this was certainly a concern after season one of, it was going to be really hard to top season one. Yeah. And it was going to be really hard to top that version of the Purple Man and that concept, conceptualization of the Purple Man, and that performance of the Purple Man. And even more so the fact that it's weird to think about the fact that season one in a lot of ways foreran a lot of the discourse that we're doing right now. Um, the public discourse, the very open discourse that we're doing right now. Um and was a forerunner of that and explored those concepts in a way that weren't being explored on TV and then weren't being explo- explored in actual culture in a way. So I think that the discourse outpaced the show and they couldn't quite figure out a way to necessarily keep up. Even if this show was almost practically this season I should say was almost entirely shot prior to the, when everything was about, was getting like shot down and canceled uh so i think that there's some elements of that but i think also now i'm tired of talking about the show and <laughs> so mcu netflix tell me a little bit about what you think its sort of position is
0: um for
1: jessica jones you mean amongst the others amongst the others but also just like the entire i guess franchise as yeah. A whole.
0: yeah, it's tough for me because I think the first season of Jessica Jones is the best of any of them. Mm-hmm. It's the best season. I'd concur, and the best exemplar of what you could do. Uh, they just had such a clear vision. The the showrunner and the writers had just such a clear vision of what they wanted to do with that first season, and they did not for season two or season three. And it was so potent and powerful because it was interesting story and good performances with really powerful allegory and, and social commentary. And uh, at that time, very underexplored. So, I mean, still arguably very underexplored social commentary uh, around, around assault and survival and being believed and, and all of that Um, PTSD too. And, So it's just so, it feels very strange to go, like, I went to check, was it the same showrunner? And it was, all three seasons, Uh because the first season just feels so much more assured than the others, the second or the third. And, I mean, yes, it was always going to be hard to follow up Purple Man and to follow up Tennant's brilliant performance um, in that role. So so, some really amazing choices that he made early with that character that helped shape the whole run and give this counterpoint to Jessica um but overall I feel like just it was it's hard for me because the shows are very distinct right like Luke Cage I really loved as well I really enjoyed Luke Cage as well um and then I didn't really care I mean like the for the Punisher um daredevil is a mixed bag for me basically if there's ninjas i don't care if there aren't ninjas i'm on board (laughs) um um, but the i mean and then oh the danny rand it's bad uh just bad um so 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 you can't really have the one without the other and i think they kind of i will always take the doubt the the worst stuff so that you know because it comes with that first season of Jessica Jones, because it comes with those the, those seasons of Luke Cage. I think if there was one thing you could tweak to these to that would grant like greatly improve them all is just to make it eight episodes, ten episodes. You know, like if they had just gone for that episode order, it would have done so much for Jessica Jones. It would have done so much for Luke Cage, um, and certainly for Daredevil as well. Uh, that being so tightly. Like so so just so married to that episode order it's such a strange thing for netflix and i I think they've learned from that in the in the more recent years like in the subsequent years but that really hampered them and then like when you compare them to all this bundle of shows to the rest of the marvel shows out there they just feel they do feel very distinct because each one has its own tone each one has its own voice um I wouldn't know how to compare it to something like Agents of Shield, but Agents of Shield is still going strong. Runaways is still is renewed. Cloak and Dagger finished up its second season and may come back for a third. I mean, like, there are other shows that look poised to go on longer and to cultivate stronger fan bases. Um I'm surprised I guess I'm not surprised with the way that Netflix has kind of pivoted to three and out for a lot of its shows three seasons and out that, that we aren't getting more of them, but I do think it's such a missed opportunity. You know, um, there is a, there's like a parallel universe out there. (laughs) There's a fringe world that has just uh, an all time great TV show in Jessica Jones or in Luke Cage. Um, And it's just with a few different creative choices, you know? So it's, it's, I'm appreciative of what we've gotten um, and wistful for what we might have gotten and for what the potential of the story is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that season one of Jessica Jones is the sort of crowning achievement of the this particular franchise, um, this particular group of shows. And then I guess like, I mean, Luke Cage season one and season two each have their bloat problems um but they're both really good i think overall and then if only
0: for alfrey woodard is mariah
1: yeah if only for that but also uh what's his name is shades because especially in the Theorasi. yeah Theorasi is just so good
0: mahershal ali before Everyone knew who he was. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right at the cusp of everyone knowing who he is. And before only like 30% of the population knew who he was.
1: Yeah. So I think that there's like a number of like really good things that came out of this. But I also like think about it like culturally and historically. It's just like 2015. This started in 2015. Yeah. And in a period in which, like, and, like, it, it premiered in 2015, but, like, entered, like, development in, like, 2013, early 2014 with Daredevil. And this idea of, well, both of these entities need each other. Marvel needs a way to exploit its IP on television because no one else really wants to do it. Because um, Disney's like, uh, nah. Shield is about what we're willing to do. Thank that's the you.
0: edge level that we will deal with. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's that's it. That's the, please go away. Um, no one else was like willing to pick it up, and so they needed that to expand their brand a little bit. And Netflix still needed like content, and was still trying to convince people that they were a viable content option, even in 2013. Still, and so I think that there's that kind of a historical discussion to be had about both of these things needing one another to sort of supplement them. But by the end of like, neither of them need or want one another anymore. Um, Netflix is just like, but you're really expensive and you've had like diminishing returns. And Disney's like, yeah, and we've got our own platform. So maybe peace out. Yeah. Bye. Let's peace out. Let's bye. Even though we're not going to get to use any of these characters for five years. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Um, on any streaming service because of Netflix's um, contract with them and everything. Um, so like Daredevil, Jessica Jones and everything don't, won't appear in any way, shape or form. But it also speaks to corporate shifts as well. Mm-hmm. Since all of these were produced by Marvel Television, which is a very separate branch from Marvel Film Studios. Those two places don't get along. And the Marvel film arm is the one producing all the Marvel shows for Disney+. Plus which is very telling about what the priorities are. Um, But to your point, Marvel TV is doing a decent job right now with Cloak and Dagger. Once we get to season two, we can have a more informed opinion about that very (laughs) soon. I promise. We promise listeners. Yeah. Give us like two weeks. (laughs) Um, And but like Runaways is doing relatively well and feels relatively safe now that Disney has a controlling stake in Hulu. (laughs) Um, Mm. That I think there's plenty of room for this kind of stuff, but it was just it didn't need to be here anymore. And neither of these partners needed one another, but it speaks to the fact of the shifting degrees of. Universe expansion, universe in connectivity, and the limits therein, which I feel like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had already answered prior to this coming out, that we can only do so much because it's just like hanging over, especially Jessica Jones season three, even though it takes place literally weeks after season two, it's just like, why isn't half the population gone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why is that not a thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, Why are we not talking about a big alien spaceship landing near Washington Square Park? (laughs) Seems like that would be on the
0: news. Yeah. Especially with all the talk of like these supers and stuff. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. But also like the limits therein of that. So I think that it's just a kind of an interesting thing on a transmedia level, on a corporate level. But because that they were on Netflix to, to a certain degree, because they were on Netflix, they were able to do certain things and get away with certain things. Um, Even if one of the things that they got away with was the Defenders and wasting Sigourney Weaver somehow.
0: I mean, they found
1: a way. They found a way to waste Sigourney Weaver, which is not a thing that anyone could really say except for 20th Century Fox and Alien 3.
0: Mm. (laughs) (laughs) There's never a thing that should happen, certainly.
1: Mm -hmm. So I think that there's just some... There's really neat... Things that kind of happened here to explore these characters that wouldn't have gotten an opportunity especially on film I think yeah. because of their small scope limited power sets and also the fact that none of them really quite fit the MCU aesthetic Daredevil can depending on the interpretation mm-hmm. but overall he doesn't fit um, and I think th- that's good but I also think That having the space and the platforms to do that Allows for more varied storytelling Which we see with Runaways Which we see with Cloak and Dagger Um, And we see with these shows But also the limits therein of You need need to have enough story for 13 episodes everyone Or you need to do better stories Iron Mm -hmm. Fist Which is why suddenly it's like Oh Iron Fist is poison So we're going to do this other martial arts character from the 70s and by God, we're going to cast an Asian actor <laughs> for them. Because yes. we're not going to get hit with this again. We learned that lesson even though we're very different divisions.
0: Yeah. It after the third time, we have finally learned our lesson with that. Yeah. Oh man. But, anyways, um, to yeah, to finish up the conversation. I guess what I'm gonna take away from this, um, besides really appreciating uh Kristen Ritter and and always you know sticking with that first season um is just like you said the larger marvel netflix world and like getting a completely new appreciation for charlie cox which was the discovery of all of these people for me um like i already knew mike culture was great i already knew kristen ritter was really good i already knew david Tennant was amazing Uh, i did not know that charlie cox was that good and it was lovely to to find that out um and, and it's easy to, i think maybe to take for granted the strengths of these shows and what they get right the tone the uh the aesthetics the music um the action in daredevil not so much in Jessica jones but in daredevil and the willingness to just sit in sit with some of these like oddball unusual characters and t- again just tonal tones i don't associate with superhero shows that the kind of tone that a lot of shows aren't willing to take like a melancholy kind of noir detective feel uh for a female superhero right it's not the kind of thing other places are gonna let let a show do or let a show be it's not the kind of thing we're gonna see again for quite a while and Um, I think it's just right. I think it's very good for Jessica Jones, and uh, it's certainly a a show I enjoy and an approach I enjoy, and I will miss it, even if I didn't wind up all that enthused, or I wound up very unenthused, let's be honest, with season three.
1: Yeah, and I think that's fair. And I think remembering, A, good stuff, but also the ways in which it sort of reintroduces a number of actors to us. Like Rachel Taylor, who plays Trish, I think is generally really, really good on this show, but she's someone who knocked around a lot of not good ABC shows yeah. for a little while before yep. landing this part. It's just like, Oh, right. You were in the Charlie's angels reboot. That didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, you were in park six, six, six park Avenue with Terry yep. O'Quinn. Yeah. That was, that was bad. Yeah. That was real bad. Thank goodness you found this show. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Um,
0: okay well a few show notes here at the end of the episode you can find a post for this episode over at the televerse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV you can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there you can email us the at gmail.com and you can also of course find us in Apple Podcasts with an M4 chapter feed and MP3 unchapter feed we're also up in Stitcher we'd appreciate ratings and reviews and we are both on Twitter I am at the televerse and Noel you are
1: at Noel RK thank you so much for a great week Kate
0: thank you Thank you, Noel. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.